<clears throat> Excuse me. First Corinthians chapter one, verses one to nine. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Amen. Thank you so much, Mickey. Well, <clears throat> do keep that open in front of you. We are going to be looking at that passage together right now, and I'm going to ask for the Lord's help as we come to look at his word together. Almighty God, you are a speaking God. You speak words of challenge and truth, words breathed out by you to, to equip us, to train us. And Lord, we need your grace this morning. We need your spirit. We need him to work in us that we might hear these words truly, that they might penetrate to our hearts, that they might move our wills, that they might inform our minds, that we might be more the people you have called us to be. And so we pray, we cry out to you, Father, this is what we need, your help. Help us as we hear your voice, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Earlier this year, uh, as a family, we were going away for a break uh, for a few days, just also to see my godfather, and I was looking online at Airbnb to see where we might stay, and I came across uh, this really great deal. Uh, just a fabulous apartment, much nicer than anything else I had seen. The price was extraordinary. It just looked really impressive. And I read in the detail from the owner that uh, they said, please could I email them direct before booking through Airbnb? So I emailed them and they emailed back saying, they just had some problems with the sort of payment through Airbnb and they'd much prefer me to use booking.com. And they sent me a link to booking.com. So I clicked on the link and, and so I was about to click through to the payment and I thought, I just wonder, is this really real? And as I tried to click on other bits of that booking.com website, it turned out the whole thing was a scam. We live in a world of fakes. Whether it's fake news, 
uh, fake social media profiles, fake student accommodation or other accommodation. I was really glad I'd stopped to check. But do you know, the biggest problem is that sometimes we can see stuff. It just seems so impressive. We don't even think that it might be a fake. We don't even realize. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians over the next while. Let me take you to the world of Corinth, to the first century, ancient Greece, this great city. It was a place that looked really impressive. It was full of sort of show and status. If you walked the streets, you would have been impressed by this great city. It was one of the greatest in the Roman Empire at the time. The capital over the whole region of Achaia, which is uh, sort of the region of Greece that is just to the left of Athens. And if you'd walked the streets, you would have been impressed by the wealth on show. This city is on a, was on a narrow strip of land between two major ports. And it was a major trade center. Masses of different people went through it. And by that trade, people became rich and they showed off their riches. And you would have been impressed by the celebrities. Now, maybe some of you younger folk are thinking, did they really have celebrities for YouTube and movies? But they did. These guys, these celebrities, you might have found on a street corner or in a square they were debaters, philosophers, and they were popular not really because of their great arguments, but because of their performance. They were showmen giving powerful speeches in beautifully toned bodies. And in 1 Corinthians, the average Corinthian longed to be like that kind of person, impressive, longed to have that status to show off. Into this world, into this city, came the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we had time, we could spend some time in Acts 18 seeing what happened. Paul, as he preaches about Jesus, and many Corinthians believed. And it wasn't a show. They were real Christians. And over 18 months, Paul spent that long there. They really grew. They were really changed. Well, Paul left Corinth, and three years have passed. And by this time, news has reached Paul. And that is why he writes 1 Corinthians. And what we're going to see is that the news is not good. It is not good. Now, I'd love to give you half an hour now to read it and to spend some time just getting a feel of what's going on. We don't have half an hour for that. So I'm going to give you a few minutes on your own. And I'm going to give you a little bit of help. So if we flick up the next slide, please. Amazing, Emma, thank you. So let me just give you a feel for the structure. So there's the introduction, and then there's one, two, three, four, five sort of sections on five topics going on here. Divisions, sex and relationships, freedom and idolatry, gathering and resurrection. Um, so as you go through, just notice those themes. But also, I've given you a few verses to give you a taste of some of the things that Paul is saying to them. And you'll pick up, I think, some of what is going on in their world. So I'm literally going to give you a few minutes to do some work on your own. So there you go. Enjoy.
Well, as I said, it would be great to give you half an hour. I hope you've, had, you've got a little bit of a flavor of some of the stuff going on. I don't know if you've got through all the verses or sections. Let me help you out a bit. The news that comes to Paul of the Corinthian church, it's not good. There is infighting, fighting about who is the better Christian leader. There's immorality, especially sexual, that's even worse than some of that that is out there in the world. There's a lack of love. They're taking each other to court. Some of them are, are eating when others are starving. There's confusion. Confusion about all sorts of things. Marriage, sex, relationships. There's wrong thinking about idolatry and freedom. And their church gatherings. Did you pick that up in 1117? In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. They're just chaos. But I think what we'll see is that the biggest problem is they don't realize they have a problem. If we ask them, they'd probably say, we are spiritual. We're mature. Actually, that word spiritual, it comes up at least 12, maybe 14 times in the letter. Um, it comes up more in 1 Corinthians than the whole of the rest of the New Testament put together. These guys think that they are spiritual. There's other words that they love, like knowledge and freedom and power. But Paul writes this letter to them to show them what true spirituality looks like. Not their version, which at best is immature. At worst is just a complete faith. Have a look again at some of the verses you looked at. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Let me read these to you again. <clears throat> I, give, I think it gives us some of the flavor of what is Paul's concern. Brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? He says, you're worldly. The, Christ, the Christians in this church, they still smell of Corinth. Much... Um, more interested in showing off their knowledge and their freedom and their power, more interested in show than in the call to grow. Annual Church Commissioning Sunday is a great chance for us to remember who we are as a church, what God has called us to, set apart for his purposes. This is actually a brilliant letter for us today, for us in the next season. Because what it shows us is what truly living spiritual lives for God looks like. And what we'll see is it means, it affects everything. It's not just about knowing the truth. It's certainly not about outward show. It's not even just about the inner soul. It's about how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ affects all of life. How we treat others, how we use our bodies, how we do church about relationships, sex, patience, love, sacrifice, service. 
But as Paul begins, remember, he's just heard things are not good. I think verses 1 to 9 are a really surprising start. A really surprising start. How do you respond when someone has completely failed to do what you'd hoped they were going to do? Some of us, we don't like confrontation, and so we just sort of quietly fume. Uh, others of us, you know, much more direct, we are critical. Um, you know, you're in a cafe, and it's 40 minutes, and your sandwich still hasn't arrived. And uh, they come along, and they say, everything's okay. The non-confrontational type goes, yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Um, others go, no, it is not okay. I tell you what I don't do is I don't thank God for them. That's what Paul does for the Corinthians. Look at verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul starts by saying, you're a real church of God, not fakes. That's fascinating. Here's the first thing we're going to look at most of our time on this. A real church. First, verse 1, Paul and Sosthenes greets them, and Paul reminds them of who he is, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. And then he reminds them of who they are, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth. He says, you really are God's church. Yeah, the location is current, but your primary identity is that you belong to are set apart for Almighty God. Some of us have been, uh, some of us, it's the royal we here, some of us have been putting labels on clothes for children this, this last while. Because, um, uh, you know, you want those children as they go to school to come back with the clothes you send them to. Um, I've actually found that using my kids' labels, putting them on my own clothes, helps me get my own clothes back, um, which is very useful. If Grosvenor Road Baptist Church had a label, a name label on it, what would it say? It wouldn't say, our church. Of course, that's true, in a sense. It wouldn't say Ed's church. It would say, this is God's church, belongs to, chosen, set apart for God. Amazing thing, he says this to the Corinthians. And then he gives four characteristics of what a real church looks like. Here's the first. He says, a holy church. Verse 2 again, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. You know that word sanctified and the word holy? They're, they're basically the same word. It would be really helpful in English if we had a word holyified because that would make it much more obvious. Because what has happened here is that something has happened, they've been holyified, and something, this is something they're called to be, to be holy. When a person trusts in Jesus, they are joined to Jesus, union with him. And Jesus takes our sin, and he gives us his holiness, his righteousness. And for all believers, that has happened. We are holyified. But in reality, I mean, I know this, don't you? We are a long way from that. There's a long way to go. We are called to be holy, to fight sin, to go God's way, to show the beauty of Jesus. 
Paul says, you're a real church, a holy church, made holy in Jesus, and being made holy by Jesus. That is true spirituality. Secondly, he says, there to be a together church, a united church. Verse 2 again. So they're called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. On the one hand, Paul wants these Corinthians to know they are so special, they are God's church. But on the other hand, he wants them to know they are nothing special. They are the same as every other church. Any person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. That is the only way to belong to God. That's the only reason they belong to God. And now, well, they were part of a global family, a together people, united for Christ. There's no room for superiority. I wonder at Grosvenor, maybe you realize we are nothing special. Maybe some of us think, oh, we are quite special. Well, we are. God has chosen us. But we're nothing special. We're the same as any other genuine church. We are sinners, saved by calling on Jesus. And we're called to be a together people with all those who call on Jesus, a united church. Thirdly, Paul says that they are a gifted church. Okay, so I want you to help me here. So this word gifted can have more than one meaning. Anyone able to give me a meaning of the word gifted? Go on. Talented. Okay, brilliant. So gifted can mean talented. You have, you have special abilities, special talents, okay? So a gifted person like Alison. Um, <laughs> um, what about the other type? How else can the word be used? Okay, given something, like work has gifted you an extra day off. I think both senses are here in what Paul has to say. As Paul thanks God for the Corinthians, have a look at verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. That word grace is, is actually the same root word as the word gift in verse 7. He says he praises God for the grace given to them. It's the same grace and peace he talks about in verse 3. It, it means all that God has given them. All his undeserved kindness. Things like forgiveness of sins. A place in God's family. And they're to be thankful. Are we thankful for the grace that we have received, that what we've been given, all that we've been given, because of God's kindness to us. But I think Paul also is talking about some special abilities. Look at verses 5 and 6. For in him you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Let me give you the sequence here. I think what has happened is the apostles, they've come, they've testified about Jesus. The Corinthians have believed, and they've confirmed that testimony. In other words, they themselves, as they have believed, have 
been a confirmation of the power, the saving power of Jesus. And so, verse 5, God has blessed them, enriched them with special gifts. What are these? Well, it seems to be speech, speaking, and knowledge. Actually, I think fascinating in the Corinthian culture where these things were prized, that the believers were given special abilities in these areas, appropriate for that culture. They were so focused on those things. And then verse Seven, Paul says, so you've been given all you need. You don't lack any spiritual gift. In the same way that he gives every church all the gifts they need for what he calls them to. But here's the question. If they are not doing well, why does he want them to realize that they are gifted? Isn't that just going to puff them up? Have you ever seen a sports person give glory to God? So maybe Allison, he saves that uh, penalty for Liverpool. Or one of the Fijian rugby players, you know, subbed off and just lift their eyes up to the heavens. What are they doing? They are recognizing that their abilities have been given to them by Almighty God and they are giving God the glory. Paul wants these Corinthians not to be puffed up and proud, but to recognize, yes, they are gifted. Yes, they have some theological knowledge and some impressive speakers. But it's only because of God's kindness. Annual commissioning service, Sunday. We are all gifted. God has given all of us gifts. And we're to use those gifts, not for ourselves, not to puff ourselves up, but for God and for the good of others. If we want to be truly spiritual, actually, maybe this would be better being called a grateful church is a real church. A truly spiritual church is one that recognizes God has given us so much, gifted, and yet, therefore, we are so grateful. Fourthly, a waiting church. Yeah, they are God's church. Yes, they're a gifted church. But there's so much more than this. You see, some of these Corinthians thought they were so special, so spiritual, didn't lack anything. Look at verse 7. That's right. You don't lack any spiritual gift, but it's as you eagerly await, wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You see, truly, being spiritual doesn't mean experiencing everything in the here and now. It certainly doesn't mean living for the here and now. It is longing for that day, eagerly expecting that day when the Lord Jesus will come and when we will truly experience the fullness that he brings. I want to take you back to the Corinthian church. I want you, can you see them in your mind's eye? And this letter has arrived and someone stands up to read it. This letter from Paul. Are they worried? Are they confident? The letter starts like this. How do they feel? Well, maybe encouraged. He says they're a real church. He's thanking God for them. But maybe actually discouraged. He says... You're called to be holy. 
I want us to notice as we go through the letter, there is no opposition from the outside world for the Corinthian church. I think that's interesting. It's not because Corinth is a nice place. It's possibly because it's really hard to tell the difference between this church and Corinth. Yes, they are a church in Corinth, but it seems there is much of Corinth still in the church. Holy, united, as they listened. Were they all sat in one group, all of one mind? No, I don't think so. There were different factions, different groups. Were even some of them missing because of the jealousy and the quarrels? The self-interest. Are people together? grateful for the gifts that God has given them, it's clear from the letter. And maybe some of those verses you read earlier, they're proud of their speech, of their knowledge. They think they've arrived. They think they're better, they're stronger, they're freer Christians. And they ignore weaker believers. They're even a bit embarrassed of the Apostle Paul. They hadn't stopped to think that actually all the glory should go to God and not themselves. And waiting? Not at all. They think they're living the best life now and they're using their freedom to make it happen. They don't really care how it affects others. Yeah, okay, they might be a real church. And Paul wants to say that to them. But they're also a real mess. A real mess. I actually find that really encouraging because the Corinthian church didn't have everything sorted. And I don't have everything sorted. Do you? What about us? As we consider the marks of true spirituality of this real church, what about us? Do we put on a good show? Or do we really want to grow? How do we feel about holiness? How do we think we're doing at unity, gratitude, patient expectation of Jesus' return? Now, by God's grace, I think, in his kindness, I don't think Grosvenor equals Corinth. But that doesn't mean we've arrived. If we're going to grow, we need to be honest, actually, whether it's as we chat over tea and coffee today or we, we meet a fellow brother or sister in Christ over the week. We can't hide the reality, pretend to be an impressive Christian, hiding the fact that we're struggling in our prayer life or we've got doubts, or ignoring that sin that just has such a grip on our hearts more than Jesus, or the sin that so easily entangles we, we need to accept that we too, in a sense, are a mess sometimes. We're a mix of godly intentions and of selfish sin. We too are works in progress. What hope was there for the Corinthians and their future? What hope is there for us? Well, here's the final thing we're going to end with this. A real church, yeah, a real mess, but a real future. See, will this struggle to be truly spiritual ever end? Who is going to sort this out? Not the Corinthians, not even Paul, only the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. He 
talking about the Lord Jesus, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. I wonder, did you notice as we had this passage read, as we've been going through it, who this passage is really all about? Because it's all about Christ Jesus. Nine times he is named in these nine verses. Are you and I feeling unholy? Look at verse 2. To those sanctified, holified in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus who has sanctified you. It's him we call on. Are you feeling like you need more grace? Well, verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes from Jesus. Do you need proof that Jesus is for you? Well, look at what he's done. Verse 4, I always give thanks to God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Are you wondering if it's worth keeping going? Is there anything good at the end? Well, look at verse 7. You eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Not sure if you're going to make it to the end. I won't. You won't on your own. But we're not on our own. How we need Jesus, verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on that day. We live in a world of fakes. Sadly found even in spirituality, even in God's church at times. How do we know if we're truly spiritual? It's not by putting on a show, but by continuing to grow as we continue to call on our Lord, confident that because of him, we are a real church. Yes, sometimes a mess. But because of Jesus and his keeping, we have a real future. Verse 9, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious God, our gracious Father, we acknowledge before you that we are not who we would long to be, who you long us to be, that you've called us to be holy, to be united, to to be a church that is able to recognize your grace and thank you for it. A church that waits for the Lord Jesus to return. Much of the time we are a real mix, a real mess. And yet we thank you for the grace that we have in Jesus. For that forgiveness, that status, that calling. And for the hope that lies ahead and the help in the present. Please would you help us to throw off all the temptations to make a show and deep down 
in our hearts, in our lives, as a church together, we would want to grow. For your son's name, amen. I'm going to invite the musicians up.